We're on, baby. Um, oh. Right, so <coughs> um, let me just double check everything's working um, before we get going. All right, good. We're on. Uh, welcome to Age Sojourner. Uh, it's been a bit of a hassle to get this thing going. You'd think after how long have we been doing this, bro? Like a week. <laughs> no, okay, true. Videos. Yeah, that's true. That makes me feel a little bit better because, I mean, video yeah, is man, another we're, gig. We're, we're novices to the whole video world. Right, but the thing is, you know, we're not doing any high tech video. Like, I have no lighting. I, you sh- it shouldn't really be that much of a problem to just press record on Zoom. No, but Zoom. Do, do you know what the problem is? Devils. Yeah. I hear you. You're just not factoring in the devils, bro. The devils. <laughs> True that, bro. Devils True that. Everywhere. And, you know, as Protestants, we're just not very good with dealing with those devils, you know? Nope. No, I mean, we, we have no exorcism rights. Bro. We have no holy oil on hand to just smack it out of the computer. We, you know, no, no rights, no, no formulations, no nothing. So, yeah, um, we just have to like our technically work don't our way even through. Have Mary on them. Do <laughs> <laughs> that. All right. So, um, what we thought? Oh, well, let's roll the jingle because um, we got to do that. That is important uh, to do. Now, let me try and roll the jingle the right way. It's like the sound of heaven. Mm. Mm. Oh man, you got like a burnt offering. It's just, it's amazing. It's all working. I'm experimenting with a uh, with a uh, the red Jack Daniels. Have you ever tried it? Mm. Which one is that? It's, it's like it's called Fire. Oh no, never tried it. You have interrupted our hang time. This is my brother and I. We start off the week. We kind of get together. We chill. So we thought we'd let you in on it. Just um, chilling out. So just before you start judging and you're like, what are you guys doing? We're just hanging, right? This is our space. We live across the ocean, like, or two or three even, you know, a lot of ocean between us. A lot and, of ocean, uh, a lot of hours. Yeah, we like to hang. So we're hanging. It's this the kind of thing. distance that if you fly that sort of distance, you come out the other side with a swollen leg. Yes, that's true. Completely. It's not good. <laughs> Because it's like, cause like, it's like, it's like fifty hours in an aeroplane or something ridiculous. Yeah, it's just all that pressure's <laughs> got to go somewhere. Yeah, he's just like, if you didn't balance out the the uh, you know the the little stops halfway and you got to walk around. I mean, if you got a straight flight, it's and you got the cheap one, uh, as you as you'd have to. Uh, yeah. Man, yeah, that's, yeah. that's a lot there's of. No, there's no option there, man. Mm. Man. Anyway, I reckon next time I make that journey, I'm definitely going to invest in some, um, uh, what do you call them? Those, those special socks that you wear that get the kind of circulation going, you know, mm-hmm. like circulation socks. Mm. Man. Circulation socks. Circulation socks. Yeah. You know, it's business time when I'm down and my circulation socks. Ooh. All right, all right, all right. Enough of the slide with Concords for crying out loud. Um, all right. No. What we are. Um, talking about is what right so okay here's my here's my thing yeah. okay 
So all my all my kind of Christian life, I've I've been I, I guess you could say like a, a separatist, right? Right. So typical evangelical thing is, if it gets dodgy, you get out of there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you don't stay around and play with the dodgy people. You get out. Right. So different to a fundamentalist who would not play with the people who play with dodgy people. Yes. So, like, I could hang out with the Anglican who plays with dodgy people. But right. if the Anglican goes dodgy, yeah. then I'm not going to play with them. Yeah. That's the, that's the kind of thing. Mm. So that's mm. separatism. The and, separatism is um, the not playing with the people that are playing with dodgy people. No, that's, fu- yeah, fundamentalism is that, yeah. Okay, and separatism is? Separatism is just separating yourself from dodgy people. Huh. Are you, how how sure are you of these definitions? Or are you coming? Are you coming up with them on the spot? <laughs> this is how I'm using the vocab at the moment. Okay, for the purposes of discourse, we're saying that <laughs> yeah. uh, a fundamentalist. Well, I'm de- I'm 100 certain that fundamentalism is double separation. Yeah. So you separate from the people who associate with dodgy people. Right. Yeah. So they I mean, might, double. They that, I think that's a better way to put it. Let's, yeah. Yeah. But if they hang out with dodgy people or do ministry with dodgy people, so it's Billy Graham's classic example. Mm-hmm. So uh, Billy Graham starts to do ministry with Roman Catholics. Mm-hmm. The evangelicals don't hang out with Roman Catholics themselves, mm-hmm. but they will hang out with Billy Graham. Mm-hmm. Whereas a fundamentalist right. will stop hanging out with Billy Graham Got it. because he hangs out. So with the Billy actual Graham. issue is not the fundamentalism per se, but more the doctrine of double separation. I think that's what it's called, or separationism, double yeah, separation. Double separation it's, exactly. it's a little bit further than the normal, um, you know, yeah, don't talk to the, the heretic. The kind of posture is to have like a minimal creed. Mm. And, um, and when that minimal creed is transgressed, normally over the scriptures or justification or something like that, mm-hmm. and you, then you just get out of dodge as, as fast as you can. Yeah. Yeah. Um, although to be fair, that's not consistent by any stretch. Like evangelicals are, as as a as a movement, evangelicals are broad as. But yeah. the, um, the the issue is um, that if you're not careful, you end up basically secluding yourself to a tiny little corner of the Christian world, where like you're the only Christians, mm. and everybody else is not Christian because there's something dodgy going on there. Yeah. So like Lutherans got me Christians because they got, they got uh, baptismal regeneration. Yeah. And, um, uh, Catholics definitely aren't, mm-hmm. you know, the Anglicans, well, they're dodgy, you know, mm-hmm. like you know, the mm-hmm. whole, and so if you're not careful, you end up in this weird little independent Baptist church, mm-hmm. where basically you and only like, I don't know, 10 or 10 or 15 other churches that you know about mm-hmm. are, are in, are in the Christian church treaty. Right. Totally. Know? Yeah, exactly. And it, it, let's be honest, it tends to be the Baptists, right? <laughs> let's be honest. Yeah. I mean, I mean, for all, for all that we brought to the table by not killing other people, you know, and not persecuting other people, oh. we've kind of made up for it in our seclusion <laughs> from everyone. Just like, we won't, we won't, we won't kill you. you. We won't kill you. We won't persecute you. But we're not going to talk to you and we're not going to talk to people you're not talking to or talking to. And so, yeah, it's uh, interesting. We're just like passive-aggressive. Passive-aggressive. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> yeah, it's the dark side of the Baptist story, I think. Um, and, yeah. you know, I don't know that it really has had 
I mean, it probably is quite a, it's, it's a post-fundamentalist, you know, and I'm thinking of, of the actual reaction to liberalism phenomenon. I don't know that it was probably forced on Baptists to some degree because no one wanted to talk to them prior to that. Yeah. Uh, but then, you know, you, you basically, as soon as they, they have a standing in the Christian community, they, they, um, you know, they bail <laughs> and they just don't want to talk because no one's really on their page. So yeah, it's a difficult thing, but not everyone yes. holds to that. It's just, um, your, it tends to be no. your independent dispensational, um, fundamentalist. Well, Baptist. dispensational or Mm-hmm. Or, like, truly reformed Baptist, like hardcore reformed Baptist. Now, this is I, I what's don't interesting, like the truly actually. Reformed label because, like, I think it actually mischaracters reformed theology. Right. Yeah. No, obviously. So, no, so I yeah. prefer to go like over reformed. You know. Mm, or just not actually reformed at all. But call themselves reformed. But, that's but that's call, what I'm yeah, trying to get at. Yeah, like, yeah. The, they would be like 1689ers. Well, okay, what I have in mind, actually, interestingly, let, let me double back and, and um, contradict myself in that if I think now in the Reformed community, yeah. and when I say Reformed community, I'm thinking broader than just the Refor- the Dutch Reformed denomination. Um, uh, I'm thinking of Reformed Baptists. I'm thinking of Presbyterians. I'm thinking of Dutch Reformed. I'm thinking of Anglican Reformed. I'm thinking of anyone who's basically on that page. Um, the only ones that won't really talk to, to the other ones are the Dutch Reformed, interestingly enough. You know? Right. Yeah. Well, it's not yeah. that they won't talk. I don't think they have so I don't think you'd actually see anything on paper in terms of a doctrine of double separation. But culturally it's just seeped right in and uh it's frowned upon. I mean, you know, to to go and certainly uh from that sort of session, you know, hey, let's go preach in another church. I mean that would be difficult. To, for, for them to preach at a Baptist church. I, I know this because we've been through it a few times. Um, but then even, I suppose, that just seeps down into the culture. You know, they're very Wait, reluctant. So you know Dutch Reformed people in New Zealand? Yeah, they call them the Reformed here. Um, right. And they think of themselves as truly Reformed, you know. Um, and so Presbyterians so like are basically... Yeah, exactly. And they, they relate to them, yeah. Uh, they relate actually more properly to the Doppelkerk. That's Hrefemeda. Yeah, got it. So um, yeah. so that's the one. And and they have relations with them and everything. And I think, I'm not sure, I mean, I think it must be similar in South Africa, actually, in that um, I'm pretty yeah. sure the Doppelkerk didn't really regard the Baptists with any uh, level of esteem at all. Um, but even the Reformed Baptists, like they, a lot of, you know, having spoken to a few pastors now in the, um, mm-hmm. in the I'm going to just call them Dutch Reformed for the sake of clarity, uh, in, in New Zealand, though, um, they... They don't. Re- they can't handle the idea of you putting the word reformed before Baptist. In fact, they they just plain right. old reject it, and they say Calvinistic Baptist or something like that. For them, it's okay. a contradiction of terms because we've essentially, you know, abandoned the only reformed confession. And so this all stand. This all moves into this big debate. Reformed identity. I've never really cared about it. It's not a big thing. So for what me. is their confession? The Heidelberg. Well, the three forms of unity. So, yeah, it'll be... Okay, Heidelberg, Dort, and... Um, Belgic. Yeah. (laughs) Belgic, (laughs) Dort, and... um, What was the other one? Uh, Heidelberg. Heidelberg. I mean, I love those, all of them. You know, absolutely fantastic. I love the way that they... I mean, obviously they go very intense on the whole... um, um, infant baptism thing, you know, that's that's their thing, covenant children, whatever. But but 
um, in general, I love it's it's sort of it's wide purview yeah, yeah. and it's not it's not as sort of constrained as the Puritan confessions. And so, yeah. I think for me, you compare the Heidelberg and the Westminster on the Sabbath. Mm. Westminster Lodge Catechism, Heidelberg Catechism, mm, compare mm, them on on the Sabbath, and that tells you all you need to know. I think I, I know that there are a lot of people who would say the Heidelberg guys held to the same view as the Westminster, but when they were writing the Heidelberg, they definitely made yeah either they just didn't want they just couldn't be bothered like they wanted to go to lunch early that day, or they deliberately kept away from the very kind of church and state stuff. That goes on in the Westminster. Yeah, they they formulated it differently for sure. Um, it's just it's so much. I mean, there's so much less objectionable stuff, you know, <laughs> in uh, in the Heidelberg. But it's not just that. It actually gets to the to what it is. I think the I think the Westminster actually just goes wrong. It goes, in my opinion. Well, you know, obviously, this is a yeah. matter of some controversy. But are we talking like opinion, two kingdoms stuff? Goes. In general, I mean, are you thinking by way of their two kingdoms they go wrong? Yeah, yeah, yeah. totally for I, well, sure. Explicitly in the Westminster, well, the pre-revision things like yeah. this is especially, especially this commandment is especially for those in authority mm, mm, because mm. they have to give the Lord's Day as a day off. You know? Now, I mean, you know, it's it's kind of obvious knowledge at some level, but a lot of people don't know that that the uh, Westminster was revised. You know. Um, and prior to its revision, I mean, it was completely theocratic, you know. And by that, I mean, you know, they just saw 100% the, the church, of, uh, the, at least the state working together with the church to enforce Christianity and that sort of thing. And um, and so, uh, you know, obviously they had to amend that. That was, you know, moving along the lines of democracy and getting away from the monarchy and all sorts of things. But, but um, one thing I do love about the, you see, this is why, I mean, my perfect confession, to be honest, would be a little bit of a little bit more Heidelberg in the 1689. But yeah. the 1689 is great; it really is. In that they have, um, they they saw the thread move all the way through. It wasn't just baptism; it was the two kingdom thing, and they saw the separation of church and state. And so, it it is a lovely document to read through. I mean, 1689 in terms of a two kingdom perspective, it's really great. You know, they. They um they've just ironed it all the way through, and it's just a beautifully consistent read in that regard. Obviously, I mean the fact that they're using the language of the Westminster means that they've got interesting little carryovers going on, like the Sabbath, you know, which wasn't the case in Heidelberg, and that's where you're just like, oh man, you know, why, why they, couldn't they have I, followed through? I understand on that? why they wanted to keep it very similar to the mm. Westminster, and maybe it was the right thing to do, but. A part of me wonders what it would have happened if they had just crafted one from scratch. Yeah, true. You yeah, know. yeah. Well, it, you know, to be fair, probably wouldn't have been as good. I don't think. I mean, uh, I know that well, in um, some ways, probably not. You because know? it, it borrowed the wisdom it, of the of the whole period, and it it, it probably did wisely. Yeah. You know, to to embrace that counsel. But if I can wheel this back to my original thing, was yeah. that like? Um, so the issue is, you know, like, you know, the, I, so I've always done this. You know that we've got this churches together thing. We're not going to play with the other churches because it's a formal organization calling themselves churches, but you've got Quakers, you've got Catholics, you've got liberal Protestants, you've got the whole mess up in there. Yeah. And so we're just like, well, we're not interested in running joint services for like Easter and stuff mm. when you might ask the liberal Protestant to give the message. 
Right. And like, why would we want to no, participate gonna, in that? Yeah, yeah. Okay? Mm. But then, like, you're listening to guys like um, like Taylor Marshall, who I would class as a kind of if if uh, maybe fundamentalist is too harsh. I think that's probably it's probably not quite accurate. He, he's a de, he's a devout by the book Catholic. Mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. whatever that is, right? <laughs> it's kind of its own category. Yeah, right. And um, and he is like always if you go on to his thing because like you say one of the good things about listening to his thing is you get a by the book catholic response yes. to all the stuff going on in the catholic church right right so he's always tearing his hair out about <laughs> the fact that you can go to priests and they don't even do the last the latin mass yeah. and you know like they don't even know latin you know like, mm. how terrible how could you possibly minister without the, <laughs> the knowledge of Latin? <laughs> Never mind, not a single person in your congregation knows what you're talking about. Exactly. Anyway, yeah. um, you know, or about like Pope Francis and about the ludicrous things that he's saying, mm-hmm. or about other bishops and the, the the pagan idols in the Vatican and all. You know, so he's always tearing his hair up, but he never, never talks about separating, does he? Never talks about True. splitting. Yeah. Never talks about needing to remove himself from the dodgy people. Right. Um, then I think of, um, you know, coming closer to home again. Mm-hmm. Think of my evangelical Anglican friends mm-hmm. who are in the Church of England, mm-hmm. which is a seriously broad church, like just, you know, even broader, even more dodgy than the Catholic Church in lots of areas. Yeah. You know, like for example, people think that's an outrageous thing to say, but I'm, I met an evangelical clergywoman who described herself as a post-Christian neo-Buddhist. Right. <laughs> yeah, because you've so got like, no dogma kind of holding it together from the top with that anathema power, you know, which no. at least at, at least uh, Rome yeah. does. Well, yeah. every single one of those people. Yeah. Every single one of them have made a public oath before God and before the congregation to uphold the 39 articles, the prayer book and the homilies. What? Every single one of those scoundrels, every single one of them lied flat out to God, to the congregation on their day of ordination. Every single one of them. Brutal. It's brutal. It's absolutely brutal. Anyway, so my evangelical friends, I'm telling them, like, dude, what are you doing in there? They're having all these councils about... Like, you know, they're, they're totally, it's going to get worse. It's going to get much worse. Mm. And they're not bailing because they're like, well, um, you know, we want, we're going to stay in and be evangelicals within the Church of England. We're going to fight Church of England. We're not mm. going to just give up on it. We're not going to jump ship. We're going to stay in. I'm like, mm. that's crazy talk. You're taking communion with people who you know are not Christians. You're compromising yourself by trying to save some institution. Mm. And they're like, well, if you go down that road, we're going to be by ourselves. You know, you're just going to keep separating and separating and separating and separating until you end up like that little independent Baptist church hmm. in the in the middle of deep northwest England, and you're there's nobody else around. And so that's the argument, right? Okay. And I've always kind of thought to myself, that's staying in an institution, trying to rescue it from the inside, trying to stay within a broad church as, as a Bible believing Christian is mm-hmm. a nightmare. Mm-hmm. Got to separate. Mm-hmm. You know, got to come out from them and be separate. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm beginning to wonder if there, 
through kind of personal experience of, you know, my friends going down that road of being the only Christians. Yeah. You know, I know people like that. I know people who've gone like that because they're just like, well, John Piper doesn't have an orthodox view of justification. He's out. Right. Right. You know, and if John Piper's out, then all the people who, who support John Piper, mm-hmm. they're not trustworthy either. There goes the gospel so coalition. Ta- <laughs> so the whole gospel coalition is yeah. out. Right. No Carson, no Keller, no Piper, no, right. no anyone in the gospel coalition. It's all right. gone. Right. All of them. Yeah. You know, and behind, you know, a short way behind that, or, or you end up like a monogism, not wanting to publish um, the Kingdom Through Covenant book because they feel like it's heretical. It goes too far. Well, you know, that whole thing. And you're like, but that's ridiculous. You publish other stuff that's controversial, you know? Yeah. And, and anyway, so I'm starting to wonder that maybe the thing that, I don't know, I I started to see a bit of admiration for guys like a Taylor Marshall who don't just think split, who Mm -hmm. think fight, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know, think rally the troops, gain momentum, win it back. Yeah. Yeah. And maybe if we'd done that, actually, we wouldn't have quite such the splintering that we do have. You know? mm. Yeah, and no, I think you put your finger right on it there because that's exactly what he's buying into that Catholic vision, Roman Catholic vision. You are buying into an institutional unity, uh, a visible church unity, a yeah. uh, hierarchical polity that, that is there to retain that institutional unity and should be fought for. Uh, for the sake of its visible institutional unity. Now, I sp- you know, it's helpful to see that because I think what that does is it sort of uh, it opens up another way to look at the situation. And really, the question I think, you know, I, well, look, I'm part of X29, right? It's it's pretty. I mean, hearing you talk about the Anglicans uh, makes me think it's not that big tent, you know, but it's still pretty. It's massive, you know. You've got you've got a massive variety of of, of views going on there. And um, and the reason I bring up X twenty nine is it's not trying to hold up uh, institutional, visible, hierarchical church, mm-hmm. you know, uh, structure, and yet it's retained. It's managed to achieve an amazing degree of unity, and con- it doesn't look like it's going anywhere. Uh, look, who knows? It might ebb and flow, like many, many other missions, boards, and networks, and what have you. But it just opens up again this further question as to where should the unity lie? Should it be? A what what we should be fighting for unity. I think everyone needs to be on that page. Everyone needs to, yeah. you know, want it at least and desire it. And this is the 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 high something of that is indicated in the high priestly prayer. Um, but as I was chatting with uh, Nick the other day, I mean, as Baptists typically, I think what what helps there is that you resolve that in that that is achieved. Christ doesn't not get his prayers answered. It, it's achieved spiritually by way of union, etc. And then the, if that is the case, um, what is it that we need to be fighting for exactly? If, if Jesus has the unity of his body in spirit, um, then what, what, what does that need to look like? What, because we must, obviously we have to be willing to endure something. It's not going to be easy to retain unity. We're going to have to give a bit of ebb and flow and flex, and we're going to have to be willing to fight for it. And if we're just jettisoning, jettisoning any visible kind of unity for the sake of our own personal preferences, obviously you can have unacceptable levels of, of, of fracturing there. But if, if, if the visible institutional unity is only 
really ever meant to be displayed in the local church, then I feel like that really opens up some realistic and also some fruitful possibilities um, by way of local church, um, fraternity, fellowship, boards, networks um, that can ebb and flow. They're not meant to be this this um, you know abiding thing that lasts throughout the ages, uh, you know, with uh, apostolic succession, but but rather something that that uh, allows for a true conviction of conscience and and allows for a reaching out for further than than that uh, beyond the local church. So, but I think I think maybe just drawing because obviously the big thing is then you, the danger, as you said, is is that you end up with a local church that's maybe as unified as you could ever imagine with all ten of their people in the local church, and you know no one else is in the local church in their mind, um, as spiritually as united as they are in their minds, they're just they're not talking to anyone else. I mean, this is a this is what we're trying to avoid, and so I think what the what the the sixteen eighty nine does on that point, which uh, let me just. I do have my handy dandy 1689 right on me. Ooh, um, this, that was unplanned, by the way. We did not plan that. And um, <laughs> and that's beautiful when a plan comes together. But uh, let me just go ahead and read this quickly. Because it is, I, I've always just found that this provides the answer, right? You ready? Uh, chapter 26 of the church. The Catholic or universal church, which with respect to the internal work of the spirit and truth of grace may be called invisible, consists of the whole number of the elect that have been, are, or shall be gathered into one, into Christ, uh, the head thereof, and is the spouse, the body, the fullness of him that filleth all in all. So there's the spiritual unity done. All persons throughout the world, professing the faith of the gospel and obedience unto God by Christ according unto it, not destroying their own profession by any errors, averting the foundation or unholiness of conversation, are and may be called visible saints, and of such ought uh, ought all particular congregations to be constituted. So there's the, you're going for the, you know, basically a credible profession of faith and life that flows from it in the local church. Thirdly, the purest churches under heaven are subject to mixture and error. And some have so degenerated as to become no churches of Christ, but synagogues of Satan. Uh, nevertheless, Christ always hath had and ever shall have a kingdom in this world to the end thereof, of such as believe in him and make profession of his name, so I have there in mind what you were saying earlier about your uh, neo-Buddhist uh, post-Christian Anglican buddy <laughs> or, or uh, person. Anyway, not so buddy, not buddy, yeah. not yeah. buddy. Right. Uh, fourthly, the Lord Jesus Christ in the head of the church. Oh man, <laughs> Evie, Daddy's podcasting right now. Uh uh-uh. uh uh-uh. No no. Hey Eva, go talk to mommy. Mommy says you're not allowed to come in right now. Close the door properly for daddy. Um, All right, four. The Lord Jesus Christ is the head of the church in whom by the appointment of the Father, all power for the calling, institution, order, or government of the church is invested in a supreme and sovereign manner. Neither can the Pope of Rome in any sense be head thereof, but is that Antichrist, that man of sin and son of perdition that exalteth himself in the church against Christ and all that is called God, whom the Lord Jesus whom the Lord shall destroy with the brightness of his coming. Amen. <laughs> Take that, Taylor Marshall. Um, all right. Oh, boy. <laughs> In the execution of this power. <laughs>
Uh, basically, there's in Ephesians two, Ephesians two, Ephesians four. There, um, you know, Paul talks about the two kinds of unity, right? Mm -hmm. So in Ephesians four, like at the beginning, but one to sixteen, um, it talks about the the unity that we already have that we have to maintain, the unity of the spirit. Okay. Yeah. So we got the unity of the spirit, and that's the unity that we already have by the spirit, by virtue of the fact that we have the spirit of God sealing us as members of the church. Yeah. We are united to other spirit bearers, if mm -hmm. you like, mm -hmm. to put it lack of a different way of putting it. Mm -hmm. But then he also later on talks about a unity that you have to attain to, a unity we don't have yet, right. which is a unity of the faith. Yeah. So there's a kind of unity that we already have not by virtue of anything we've done, but by virtue of the gospel, mm. there's a unity that's been given to us. We are united to every other true Christian in mm. the church. Mm -hmm. um, <clears throat> but the local expression of that is not going to be exact yet because that's the lifelong project that we've been given to try and bring everyone to the unity of the faith, which is, I think, a doctrinal unity, a confessional unity. Yeah, and I think, you know, at that level, I mean, that's a very... We should. I mean, that's certainly the, the the goal of a pastoral leadership in a local church. You know, you you're trying to get everyone to that same page, and you know whether you do that via the front door and membership, whether you do that through the process of discipleship. I mean, there are various approaches there, but I think um, beyond that, you've obviously got a confessional unity that you can you can totally widen out. I mean, if if all churches hold together to a certain uh, confession. At a certain level, I mean, you've got a decent grip on unity there institutionally, you know, whether you want to call that a denomination or a fellowship or an association or a network or whatever. Um, but then um, I think here's the little lynch. This is what I was looking for earlier in in uh, <clears throat> in chapter four, in um, uh, paragraph 14. Um, it says, as each church and all the members of it are bound to pray continually for the good, uh, the good and the prospering of all the churches of Christ. Uh, in all the places and upon all occasions to further it, um, everyone within the bounds of their places and callings in the exercise of their gifts and graces. So the church, when planted by the providence of God, so that they may enjoy the opportunity and advantage uh, for it, ought to hold communion amongst themselves for their peace, increase uh, of love and mutual uh, edification. So the reason I like that is because it's it's circumstantial almost, you know? It, it, it basically, it, it, it allows an ebb and flow. Um, if, if we were convinced as, as a local church that, you know, the 1689, for example, was, was the way to go, and, you know, you have no one else who is even Trinitarian, you know, or, or let's say they're Trinitarian, but you really only have Roman Catholic, you only have, um, I mean, it's just kind of a, a silly concept to try and find any institutional unity or any um, network unity. But as providential opportunity allow for, as you know, you might find yourself in a situation, if there's a, a church down the road, um, and they might not be able to grab all of it, but you can find a way to grab on some of it together and form a, a, a sense of alliance. I think that is the way to go, even if it means you have various. It's it's a sort of multi, you know, multifaceted 
layer um, or layers of of complexity and that you got a network here and a fellowship there and a denomination here and a you know a informal alliance here and a fraternity yeah I think we just need to get all of that as far as we can that's the obligation you know try and fight for that fight for as much as you can as as far as you can that's definitely been the way that I've approached it anyway I'm not, you know I think and the, one of the reasons for that is it's just the only practical way to do it so that means you have to have some way to to sort of grade the the manner in which you can associate you know um and a lot of that is going to fall around yeah. some sort of rallying cry whether it be a confession or, or something else yeah because because i guess for us it would be less about <clears throat> you know forming i don't know some kind of baptist denomination or baptist institution that could try and you know hold everyone together or even more than that like i have sometimes thought about this though but it wouldn't, you know, it's, it's not the point. But, you know, if you if you started a new reformed denomination that could at least draw in all of the reformed, mm-hmm. you know. So that would be like the reformed, independent reformed evangelicals. And, something like that. Know, something like yeah, that. Yeah, something yeah. like that. Yeah. Or, mm-hmm. or, or, or even something that might even draw in reformed and Lutheran, like something yeah. like Reformation, like the whole Reformation. But like, um, oh, yeah, obviously you, that's. You could go fought. Yeah. Fought. <laughs> I forgot about this. The Fellowship of Reformed to Kingdom. I don't know. I haven't got anything else after tea. No, no. Yeah. It would be it would the Fellowship of Reformed yeah. Two Kingdoms. Just put a put an yeah. S on there. It sounds a little yeah. bit weird, but <laughs> it gets you fought. Yeah. 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 What about like Forta? Evangelicals on the end. That'd be Forte. We've been through this conversation. No, no, no. Forta. Uh, like Reform two ages. Uh, <laughs> Porter. No. Yeah. no. <laughs> it's like Italian. Sounds Catholic. Anyway, yeah. the, the, so like we wouldn't necessarily want to go for like an institutional unity. Right. But um but we Associational fellowship unity. Associa- re- yeah. Like a yeah, exactly. Yeah. Relational unity. The idea is which, that there which, is no basically thing. you've you've either got to go full Vatican or you've got to go congregational. Yeah. I think that is the thing, and and when you when you've got you know these um, big denominations, um, let's take the Reformed for example, you know that are really, uh, it's always been a self contradictory argument for me to see them in operation because their whole big claim to the denominational structure is that they're they're just so concerned about unity, you know, we must have wider unity, and yet it just all they've done is they've just enlarged the problem of a fundamentalist. Baptist local church, you know, they've just, they, they, they certainly haven't gained any unity beyond their own strict and particular views. Um, and so, you know, sure, they've increased that out, but like some denominations aren't even that big in numbers, so have they really? They haven't even, yeah, yeah. you know, all they've done is they've added bureaucracy to their situation um, sure. for no reason at all. And um, I appreciate the sentiment, but it's just, we need another way to go about it if we're not going to go with Rome directly. Yeah, I mean, I think... Um in lots of ways, the kind of setup we've got, uh, actually nine, but also um, yep. very similar to that is the FIEC. Yeah, I think that's a good model too. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it's doing that. It's basically saying there's like a, a very broad common creed that you do have to affirm, mm-hmm. but otherwise it's just relational unity. Mm-hmm. You know? Like, um, well, okay. So let me let me with X twenty nine. I don't think it's relational unity. I mean, it is functionally there is relational unity. I don't want to you yeah. know say there isn't any of that. It's actually quite strong on that. That's one of the big appeals. 
But for me, uh, you know, I'm very hesitant with any relational unity. I know that comes and goes, and I know it can leave you in a real pickle. And that was one of the things I really wor- I was concerned about uh, in joining them. And um, they they have very clever distinctives that you rally around. And I don't know that even you know if they had to build it from the ground up, if they would do it this way. It's just kind of the way it's landed on their on their um, lap, so to speak, or or the way it's come about. But it has been very clever in that it's allowed for rallying around watershed issues. So beyond the generic broad confession that you know everyone as an evangelical can can affirm, you've got like these issues: complementarianism, um, you know, just just the the Calvinism issue the you know and just you've got these things that if you believe that you probably believe such and this as well or if you affirm that you probably are in this tribe anyway so you've got a couple of these watershed issues that they rally around which creates an even though there's a lot of denominational variety I mean literally Lutheran through Baptist through everything and um, and you know yet everyone is somehow exactly of the same variety of those kinds of people, tribes within their own denominations, you know? Mm -hmm. So it it ends up being very clever. But if you weren't going to go that direction, um, yeah, I mean, what you're looking for essentially is just that perfect blend of what you, what you can affirm in a confession. It's got to be broad enough to allow, you know, so another good way I think is uh, people have, have spoken about a broad agreement with the reformed confessions of faith. So in other words, you've got, you know, the three forms, you got Westminster, you got, you know, Savoy, you got 1689. Uh, I think the Fellowship of Reformed, Independent Reformed Evangelicals, FIRE, does that. Um, and so that's a clever way to go. I've always thought that that's, that's helpful, you know. But, yeah. you know, you're compromising as well. It, you're never going to get that closeness that you would otherwise have. Um, so that's why I say just, you know, have, have the denominational closeness. No problem with that. Just add to it. Don't draw the line there. Keep yes. reaching out for as much and don't limit it. So as soon as people start going, well, I'm already part of this denomination and it would be like a spiritual adultery to join into this fellowship as well. Um, right, yeah, I, yeah. That's where the problem comes in for me. I'm like, what we are we talking up, about? And here? it sounds like this is what happened to Lutheranism. Right, right. It sounds like there was this kind of like selling out and then a massive reactionary withdrawal Yeah, to protect lutheranism yeah exactly and i think that that's not gonna i understand why you know like in one sense it's commendable but in another sense not not the right way to go Mm. um but i guess it does the whole thinking about fighting for the broader church Mm. is never going to look like an institution for us because we're coming at it from a a Baptist congregational perspective. The institution is, right. is going to like be the I local said, church. You're either going to yeah. go full Vatican yeah. or you've got to go congregational. Yeah. Yeah. And of the two of those, it's easy. You know? yeah. Easy, yeah. easy, easy choice. Yeah. Um, but when it comes to things like partnering with other churches or fellowship with other churches or working together with other churches, mm-hmm. I sometimes wonder if actually the you have to be on the same page as us thing hasn't Actually, I just sometimes worry that I'm being too narrow doing that, basically. Yeah, for sure. <clears throat> you know, like how, how broad can you go? Because on the one hand, you do have um, you do have real kind of, in the New Testament, a real emphasis on unity and don't be the guy who's mucking up church unity, basically. Mm-hmm. Don't be that guy. Mm-hmm. And there is, there is it's basically, people don't realize this, but there are three explicit references for things you get excommunicated for. You know, the one is serious unrepentant sin. The other is doctrinal error. And the other is disruption of unity. Uh-huh. 
Like, and people often forget about that third one. Like, true. That's the that's the other explicit reference to being kicked out of a church is yeah. because you're disrupting unity. Mm-hmm. So you, you don't want to be that guy, no, right? No. But <clears throat> at the same time, the New Testament does say some very hard things about people tolerating false teaching. Exactly, yeah. Because so Luther like, was that guy. A, there are these boundaries, and you got to kind of, there are these boundaries, and you got to kind of like find, find that zone in between. Mm. And... So, like, what do you do? Do you go? Do you go? Okay, my boundary is Trinitarianism mm-hmm. and like two natures of Christ and all that. Mm-hmm. Like going like old school mm-hmm. first first seven confessions kind of yeah, you know, Apostles' yeah. Creed kind of stuff. Or am I going to actually go? No, I want to go Reformed. So I'm going the stuff that was highlighted at Reformation, Doctrine of Justification, um, and that I guess that's where I've kind of gone at the very least. Trinity, Scripture, Doctrine of Justification. That's kind of where I've gone. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But um, the problem was the execution of the Coptics. That was the problem, Mike. The execution of the Coptics? The Coptics. And they beheaded the Coptics. Who beheaded the Coptics? ISIS. ISIS beheaded the Coptics. Oh, got it. You mean, I thought you were talking about church history. I thought you said, no, I thought you meant the reform I didn't, guys I didn't did that. Head the no, I got it. I was like, whoa, I left that I knew I should have come to that class. <laughs> I knew I shouldn't no, have bunked I mean, that one. Recently. I mean yes, recently. Yes, yes, yes. And the yes. thing is <laughs> strictly speaking, they're the not Coptics, part of it. Right. The Coptics bailed on the on the they were kicked out. On like, some so Christological people often talk stuff, about yeah. a thousand years of church unity. It's not true. They they were hoofed out at like three hundred uh-huh. or something like that. Uh-huh. Totally. And um uh, but but on false charges. So they actually are apparently is it like one of those sort of weird things where the language is slightly different. Yes. So they say they're perfectly orthodox, right? But the Roman Catholic Church still thinks that they're slightly dodgy. So yeah. it's kind of like like it's a weird thing with them. Mm-hmm. But then also like they've got no defined doctrines on justification, I can tell. No. But lots of practices that would make a Bible believing, Reformedish Baptist like me very uncomfortable mm-hmm. you know? oh yeah and um and so like what do you do with them like what do you do with the coptics who you, are getting you mean in terms of you, just emotional like response just, to well, it's just like are they my brothers yeah right they're dying for christ yeah certainly brutal yeah. Mm-hmm. like how can, how can and then and then you start to think well if like of course man of course if they are literally sacrificing their lives out of mm. devotion to Christ. You think, of course, they're my brothers in Christ. Mm. But then you think, well, those guys, they weren't just there when they were getting beheaded. They were there before. Right. But I wanted nothing to do with them. Yeah, yeah. So are they my brothers or not? In which case, I need to have something to do with them now, not just when they're getting beheaded. Right, yeah. You see where I, I'm going with that? I do, I do, yeah. Well, I mean, see now, here's the thing. Um, now look, I, I, I must admit, I just, I, you know, the Coptics have been the Coptics and the Greek Orthodox man. I just honestly know nothing about them. I mean, only recently I, have I even started, and maybe this is to your point, you know, just, just they have not well, been they, on they the radar. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah. And um, and so yeah, I mean, look, if that is the case, well, I think everyone needs to find out about it firstly, anyway. So shame on me, okay. But then the second thing is, um, I'm hoping that the the basic rubric I have in place already will basically cover that in that I'm not one of those guys that has said, 
you know, I, I would not pray for a Roman Catholic, let's say, if he was, um, or consider him a brother in Christ, if he was being beheaded or just whatever in, in general, because of the of the Apostles' Creed, the Nicene Confession, you know, the, the, the first, the basic uh, Christian Orthodox uh, confessions, uh, we, we all hold those together. You know, we now, you know, and, and you've got to at some level, I mean, it, you we have to allow for a place to critique, you know, if we feel they've gone seriously off the road and they feel we've gone off the road from that point on, we've got to be able to talk about that and critique seriously about that. Um, but, uh, you know, we've always, without shaking that foundation, you know, we've always got the, the base. So, you know, that's that's in my mind what very clearly distinguishes my relationship to them from, let's say, a relationship to uh, a seventh. Oh, no, let me not use seventh day Adventism, but uh, that's even more complicated. But um, the uh, the Jehovah's Witnesses, say, for example, or Mormon Church, uh, Latter day Saints. I mean, I, I wouldn't, I mean, if they're getting beheaded, you know, I mean, that would suck. I'm really sorry about that, but it's just like yeah, I'm not I'm, I'm not advocating that. But I, they're not my yeah. brothers in Christ. I know that much very clearly. Whereas anyone that can hold to those those first confessions, you know, leaving. I mean, I know nothing about them individually. Christ knows everything about you know where those lines get drawn uh, spiritually. But in terms of what we hold, we hold the same thing, and we must be viewed as the same church, yeah. and we have that that spiritual unity. Um, so that would apply for the Coptics as well, if that's the case. I'm just not sure. I haven't looked at you the know, issue with fall. Coptics is whether or not they are guilty of um, monophysitism. Oh right, or yeah. Or whatever you said. Yeah. So and that would be a, a Christological um, heresy, and yeah, it uh, would technically be a heresy. But would you really say that they would not? It's just the thing I've always them. thought about that, and you know. I haven't, I, you know, I haven't looked into obviously um, the Coptics now, but obviously everyone who studies any level of church history will have to go through that chapter, and um, you see how all those controversies develop. And I've always thought about that. Again, it's almost like my argument with a, you know, a ninety-year-old that enters into a Roman Catholic church and tries to has met Jesus basically, and Amen. He, you know, he's saved, yay, because of the gospel, and he celebrates that reality. I mean, could that be true for a Coptic? I think so. And if he hasn't been introduced, I mean, how long would it take for a ninety-year-old to get to get in, you know, up to speed on the on the monophysite heresy? <laughs> you know, it's just like not gonna not not an easy thing to figure out clearly, and no, it's, it's very very subtle. And it, I almost and if feel most most Coptics or anything like my congregation, they're barely getting their head around the Trinity, let alone the two natures of Christ. Like, I mean, yeah. I, you know, they, they will, you see, the thing is, they will affirm that Jesus is Lord. They will affirm that Jesus is the Son of God, that he is not a created being, you know. Yeah. And uh, that he has a human nature and divine nature. And divine nature. nature. So but, they affirm those things in their simple yeah. statements. But it's really, what we're talking about here is much of what we were saying earlier, that we're not saved by our understanding. We're saved by, by, uh, by grace um, and by Christ himself, you know, the one who is hypostatically united in person. So, I mean, you know, it's not yeah, like yeah. we have to figure it out for it to be true. It's it's just basically, do we affirm these central tenets? And um, and so, yeah, that's, I think what you have to acknowledge with that sort of thing is that it's very, very tricky. And yeah, I wouldn't pull the trigger too quickly and say, oh, you know, my brothers. Um, I'm not sure at what level they affirm yeah. the confessions. So that would be interesting. Oh, no, they're totally on board with um, all of the with, with everything. Okay. The first well, thousand years of church confession. Yeah. Well, well, there we go. 
Yeah. Uh, and they are in their own view. I'm pretty sure. Um, I'm pretty sure that they would say they're not guilty of yeah. the monophysite. Monophysite. How do you say it? Monof- I say monophysite. Monophysite. <laughs> monophysite. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, you know what I'm talking about. I just prefer Eutychianism. Yeah. Well, maybe that's the way to go. Yeah. I don't know why anyone's adopting that other word anyway. Um, <laughs> um, so the the uh, it's because I ca- I keep getting confused between Nestorius. And, and, uh, so Nestorius was the two like, nature guy. You merges tic- them, and which one separates them? I don't know. Yeah, you Nestorius tic- tears them apart. See it? now, and that's another interesting thing with the Nestorius deal because if you know he apparently didn't do that either, and you know there's the whole. Okay. So it was a very volatile yeah. period, is what we're saying. Yeah, very volatile, <laughs> and a lot of don't extreme- get a Roman emperor involved in your confessions, guys. Yes, exactly. So you know, and I really like a lot of what Nestorius said. You know, I'm leaning on the Nestorius side big time, but you know, and that's another thing. Um, bottom line is, can they confirm yeah. those confessions? It gets messy afterwards, you know? Um, yeah. So, like, the other big problem that I'm realizing is that there are some evangelicals with whom I have almost nothing in common. Yeah. And, like, if I was at a party, yeah, and there was You'd a probably Roman Catholic hang out priest, with, yeah. and an evangelical dude, like, one of those guys, yeah. I'd be like, hey, Roman Catholic priest, let's get a drink. You know, because sure. they got historical connection. They, um, you know, and they'll they be educated at some level. They've got some conviction. That's true. Uh, it's like that, the liberal Protestant guy. I'm just like, I even know, yeah. I don't know, like, what are you even doing? Like, yeah. it's Mr. Social Club. You're just making up your own thing. Why are you calling yourself a Christian? Like, yeah. just go start your own charity and open up a soup kitchen. Like, you don't need to wear a dog collar for that. Yeah, you know, yeah. and you go over to the Roman Catholic guy, and this is a bit of like rationale behind. Well, there's it. a lot of lot of that. You have a healthy in, in, debate about about um, a healthy debate about justification and about the role of works, and you know, like it's for just, sure. Yeah, uh, no, totally. So with that's you. the other factor. Yeah. Evangelical does not mean I'm closer to them no. than Roman Catholic, ironically, or Anglican. Coming back to the Reformed Church here, they don't like the term evangelical at all they don't refer to themselves as evangelical they they um you know they would think about the reformed thing being a completely different um segment so yeah i think we uh, have got absolutely nowhere basically is what we're saying <laughs> pretty much yeah it's a difficult thing but yeah. i think i think uh, for anyone who does want like just a, a rigid cookie cut answer anyways that I've, it's something that I've been consoling myself with again just want to really shoot for that institutional unity in the local church um, and then just try wherever you can as much as you can you know some some is going to involve a fellowship unity some is going to involve a fraternity some is going to involve a, pray, a prayer group something's going to involve yeah. just a bunch of ministers getting together something's going to involve praying uh, as much as you can for the Coptic something's going to be involving you know you know just signing up to some you know, newsletter thing that's just keeping you up, you know, so there's going to be varying degrees of, of the expression of that unity. And you just, I think you can't go wrong by just saying mm-hmm. as much as I, I want as much as I can of that, as much as I can, because I think realistically as well, you know, there's just, you can't have, I mean, even uh, we're just, I'm part of the fellowship of reformed Baptists in New Zealand and part of X 29. I'm all, I, I got no more time for any more like levels of, 
personal unity, at, you know, and church unity. There's just it's it's taken up all my time. So there are other really good networks and denominations out there that I'd love to spend more time with, but just don't have that time. So what yeah. do you do for the, you know? Yeah, yeah. So you can't join with everyone anyway, you know. And mm-hmm. there's got to be some some sense in which everyone's sort of cognizant of that. Um, so what do you do? You just you just make sure that you're clear on 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 you know. Where that I think, thank, I, I mean, I think so. Again, go back to Ephesians two thing. Thank God for the spiritual unity we already have in Christ. Yeah, that you we don't have to lift a finger for. You've just Isn't that amazing? It. I love that. So you can just spend your time maintaining that. Yes. Like, you know, just, just, just in, you know, oh goodness, giving thanks for it, enjoying it, yeah. re- and, and seeking to recognize it, and, and living, and living that way. Up. Living that way in your in your conversation in your yeah. in your talk, it's your, your actual the way you would speak about other brothers and sisters in Christ. For example, I mean, I could see you being in trouble at the end. You're standing before Jesus, and you had all yeah. the the right boxes ticked in terms yeah. of what what denominational, you know, even part of the one institutional thing. Let's say you, you managed to get that right, and your heart wasn't right concerning other believers. I mean, dude, that you know, we know that Jesus is going to care about. Where your heart did, did your heart go out to those that you knew? Um, even just your being you concerned, water to the least of my disciples, exactly. Like exactly. Um, and the other thing I think the big other takeaway from this is that don't confuse institutional unity with unity, yes. So, like, the, yes. the unity we're trying to achieve doesn't have to happen in an institutional form. No. It can happen from local church to local church in, in varying forms yeah. at yeah. varying levels. So yeah. like like you say, I'm I'm not going to hold an evangelistic event with the Roman Catholic Church down the road. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, but uh, but to be honest, I'd I probably, you know, I'd go to like a pastor's fraternal where we're studying the Bible mm-hmm. or doing a theological discussion mm-hmm. happily, you know. It's so, it's like that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um and uh, I'm not going to do a pulpit swap with the with the dodgy liberal Anglican down the road. Yeah, you know. Yeah. But but there are other you know ways to engage even with the liberal. And I have to confess, I, I basically struggle with liberals more than anybody else Probably. in the yeah. whole of the church. Like I can I can deal with with Catholics who are conservative, but even liberal Catholics. Yeah. I'm just well, like I don't even I don't even know how to talk to you. It's yeah. Like, for sure. For sure. What are you even doing here? Exactly. So don't confuse don't confuse institutional unity with unity. Yeah. And third one, there's got to be a third one because it's not a proper uh, about three points. Uh, death to the liberals. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, death, maybe just suffering. All right, that would be know. a little bit one kingdom. I I confess. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> sorry. Off with Jeff off with his head. Off with his world. head. <laughs> <laughs> um. Yeah, there is no third one. The third one, well, I, I do have the third one. Okay. Okay, I know, I know where this is going. Avoid the avoid the pitfalls of of doctrinal compromise and of disrupting unity. Boom. Boom. Mic drop. We're out.